casting your mind back to April 2020, when we were all thrown into this, everybody was so isolated and everybody's head spinning a bit. We don't really know what's going on. So you make a hypothesis up. We, we fully expected when we started talking to people that there would be a lot of people saying, this is really a nightmare. Our, 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 we're finding it very difficult, whether that's because of technical and practical issues or whether it's because of collaboration difficulties or client relationships and so on and so forth. It was actually at the time quite a surprise to us as we interviewed people that we, are, we were finding actually people aren't saying that. They're saying, you know what? This has actually been pretty straightforward. It's been much easier than we were expecting. It really changes our view on what we think about remote working and the possibility for incorporating more of that into our model going forwards. It feels like as a team, at least at the moment, it feels like we're, we're more productive than we even usually are. So they were really seeing those, those benefits in the, in the short term. And that, that was a, a great surprise to us. You are listening to the Align Remotely podcast, the show dedicated to helping you lead distributed teams under difficult circumstances. I'm the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade. As a practitioner, I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Since the pandemic began, there's been quite a lot of uncertainty and everyone's first been making sure they're taking care of themselves, their close ones, and people within their immediate context, uh, usually at work. Um, One of the things that the Data Truth team did, uh, I was very pleased to find, was that they went and spoke with a very large amount of different leaders across a variety of companies to find out how everyone else is coping. And they've put it all together into a nice report, um, which summarizes their findings. Uh, very useful. And um, on today's two-part podcast, we're going to interview uh, interview them and get a into a little bit more depth so that uh, there's some actionable takeaways for you. Here we go. Today we're talking with Tristan and Reshmi from Data Truth. So, Tristan, can you give us a little bit about your background? Just- yeah, sure, certainly, Luke. Thank you. Nice to be here today. I grew up on a dairy farm right out in the sticks, so I was uh, quite remote back in the day. I went on, you know, through education and, and university, took a degree in engineering, and was was fascinated by by tech and, and data. And it was those parts of uh, the engineering degree that really uh, stood out to me. So I got got into computing and programming initially in investment banking then moved into agency uh, consultancy uh, and contract work as a software engineer for over 10 years and then on from there into kind of technical leadership uh, and more recently um, software engineering management building teams that that build products that is the journey that's resulted in in uh, the creation of data truth really which is uh, a tech and data consultancy okay great thank you and uh, and reshmi can you tell us yeah, a bit about sure. yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm the delivery lead here at Data Truth. I think it all started for me on the back of what Tristan was saying about truth. I actually started off as a journalist and was always keen in finding out what's going on in the world. I was a writer and, and then everything went digital. And I was quite keen on digital. I quickly gained an interest in how humans uh, interact with applications and the online experience and and tech. I naturally went into digital transformation work. I suppose it started with local governments and then more central government and then went in managing tech 
I've always been hungry to see products develop from nothing, just from an idea, and to see that growth from the concept stage. It's turned into a bit of an obsession, I'd say, a bit of an, an, an addiction to create something from an idea. That's kind of how I ended up um, with Data Truth because we are a consultancy. And, and the essence of Data Truth, which is truth and which is asking lots of the right questions, which takes me back to my journalistic background and getting those necessary answers to build a strong sound product. Okay, wonderful. For either of you, why did you decide to create this report? When the lockdown started to kick in, obviously it was a time of enormous change for all businesses, ourselves included. We've actually operated in a distributed model for, for most of the time we've existed. And albeit with quite a lot of um, time spent on site with clients, we as a team ourselves work remotely a lot. We've built and run teams that are distributed. And so there were a few reasons why we thought it would make sense for us to carry out a piece of research like this. One was because we were, again, we were curious, actually. We were curious to find out how other businesses finding this transition? We were very used to working this way, but how are other businesses finding that? And in all honesty, for us, we could see there was potentially an opportunity for product or service development for, for Data Truth, given that we've been operating that way for quite some time, to, to see whether it's something we could potentially support in or, or build an offering around. I guess more importantly, we wanted to, to use some of our skills in terms of research and analysis to be able to do something for the community and to be able to then share with businesses far and wide where they'd be able to take those insights and hopefully use them to help navigate through the period and also for the future. Rush to me, do you have anything to add? Yeah, just that this was a life-changing experience for everyone, really, to be able to use an opportunity to, like this to have those deep conversations with leaders around the UK and globally in respect to people all over. That was just a, a really useful thing to do. As Tristan say, says, how can we be helpful in this time? How do we, how do we give back? And, and I feel that um, hopefully that this, this does that. In terms of feedback, we've had people find this quite useful. And as Tristan says, we, we manage remote teams. We've been doing it for some time now. How do others do this and how do we build on these learnings? Digging into the details of exactly who was involved. Obviously, the results of the survey will depend a lot on exactly how you put that together. Could you talk to exactly how you thought through that part? Yeah, sure. Rashmi, do you want to talk about the interviews we held and who we approached? And then I can talk perhaps about the, the poll and what, how that came about. Yeah, sure. We spoke to a variety of leaders across sectors. And this was quite important for us because it, it was more about how are people finding this across industries really and then how has the pandemic impacted different industries it was about bringing out those transferable actionable insights so we wanted to speak to those managing teams whether it's automotive businesses digital tech across healthcare fintech so really wide-ranging industries and yes while i suppose some of their experiences were quite industry specific for example a doctor um, would find it quite different from somebody who's leading a team in, in the automotive sector. We found that quite a few patterns across these industries that would support all, all of the leaders in the um, report, but also far and wide. How did we know who to talk to? We just reached out. We reached out to leaders far and wide, really, and explained this idea to them and thankfully got quite good response. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we were all new to this situation. We all wanted to find out from the network, from our peers, how are others doing this? How, you know, how are others 
treating this um, environment and managing teams differently um, and how are they finding the experience of managing remote teams. Hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. I just wanted to follow up uh, with a quick question. So was there a range of both very senior strategic people and operational people or is it more one or the other or is it a wide range? Yeah, I think it was quite a range. Those leading um, teams all the way up from kind of three or four to like a thousand plus. For the bulk of it, if I try to remember, we are talking about very senior leaders, CEOs, founders, the people that make the decisions at the top of the business. We have someone who has been quoted in, in the report who was the former CEO, CTO of um, the global digital team, the HSBC. Hmm. It was really great to see such receptivity to the research we were doing. People were very happy to take some time to talk through it, very, very engaged. We had in-depth conversations with managers of teams around what they were experiencing. It was largely a qualitative piece for the interviews side of things. We were looking for the trends and the themes and what were people most talking about and thinking about, what were their main concerns, what were they finding easy, what were they finding difficult, and trying to sort of join all the dots and, and in, a, in a fairly qualitative way, take some insights out of that. Certainly, we first started conducting the interviews around this uncertainty of what, what the future would look like in terms of operating models, especially for the workplace. So how and where would people be working? Uh, and more specifically, what, what were other business leaders and managers thinking about this stage? Because everybody felt like quite isolated at this point and there were no patterns, there was no emergence of what the, the new normal might look like on that front. We decided then to extend the research we were doing just a little bit off the back of that. We decided to run a poll, which was a fairly broad, uh, working across a range of sectors. We were interested in finding out a little bit more quantitatively what people's view was on actually their preferences. So this is more working employees, members of teams, what did they actually want from the future? Uh, and so that led us to creating a, a poll around that. So uh, we included some results from that poll. What was key for us in the beginning stages of those interviews was what had actually changed in this time? Had productivity changed, for example? And what we found was actually it, it didn't change much and if anything the productivity increased and we had some of the leaders interviewed actually back that up with their measurable um, operational metrics that they use on a, um, a monthly basis. What we found was it's not really decreasing actually it's probably something they can take forward but then again how, how sustainable is that you know level of productivity that's something that you start to see over you know a longer period of time. There is a taboo with working from home you often get staff members worried to ask their bosses for um, a day or two working from home. And actually, this kind of opened the eyes for a lot of leaders to see firsthand that their staff were actually more productive in a lot of cases working from home. People can be quite productive when directing their own time. How are these leaders defining productivity when they're working remotely, both themselves and, and for their teams? Any kind of patterns that you, that you saw or heard? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, as Rashmi touched upon, there were uh, some people that we interviewed that actually could kind of point at metrics to say, this is how we normally measure, we normally monitor our output and our productivity. And you could see the step change. Uh, but that, that's not the case for the majority of people we mm. spoke to. Theirs was much more of a, a sense of the output and efficiency that their team were having during that period. They wouldn't necessarily have any hard metrics they could point at but they could sense from the team's overall kind of activity, the in industrious nature of the work that they were doing as, as to how much output was coming. But, but I think importantly, uh, and perhaps this is the, the, the point that you're um, raising, Luke, is that 
we uh, we did we did have quite a lot of conversations about what 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 is productivity actually what do we mean by that because i think that there was this especially in the first couple of months there was this sense that we've increased on some kind of functional output executional productivity we can get more things done it, 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 it sort of transactional rate has increased but there was certainly this recognition that actually what kinds of productivity are we missing here there is a creative productivity that you get with lots of human beings being in the same space and generating ideas bouncing off each other getting the uh, approval of one another's ideas and or the challenging of one another's ideas that has died away we don't even know what we've lost in terms of medium and long term effects from that there's different types of work people do in terms of the value per day this is kind of building on perry marshall's idea of not every task that you do being equally valuable. Certainly when I was in more of a corporate environment, there was a lot of interest in making sure that people are working eight hours a day. It might look good on a spreadsheet, but when you do have a team of people working on something, they're not going to be equally productive those eight hours, each person. So there's ones that are more and less valuable in terms of the hours themselves. And then separately from that, there's the actual value of what they're doing and how it's contributing to the overall company goals and that's the other side of it and you know there could be things that are being done that could easily be done by someone for ten dollars an hour mm. uh, on on the open market and then there's stuff which is very unique to the company and very powerful that in that one hour somebody can create the equivalent of ten thousand dollars worth of value i think we got a sense that the kind of productivity that people were talking about had it increased was the the productivity that normally sits in that kind of $10 or £10 an hour, £100 an hour, maybe a few hundred pounds an hour kind of work, that work of just getting things done and getting through things increased, yeah. But but your your £10,000 an hour work, much harder to have productivity around getting that work done when everybody is so isolated from one another. Yeah, I think you're right. I think what you were alluding to, Tristan, was this state of reactivity during this period. Being reactive was perceived as being productive. In a lot of senses. I've had teams come back in this time. We've had, you know, our call volume just increased, but we've had better call quality than ever. So actually for a lot of contact centers, I feel like their productivity had gone up. Mm -hmm. Then there were digital teams who said we've had a backlog of work and our teams have finally been able to start work on that. So not so reactive there. It was a decent blend of an understanding of productivity across the board, however they perceived or define productivity, they felt like their teams were doing what they should have been doing or what they could have been doing. And actually in a lot of cases exceeding what they could have been doing. So it's um, difficult as, you know, and it, that was the kind of the conversation we were having, you know, what is that baseline? And it's difficult to define that across the board, but what we, what we found was for what they should have been doing or could have been doing in that time teams, they were doing that or exceeding those expectations. That was one of the three main findings from the, research that looking back on it perhaps not surprising casting minds back to april 2020 when we were all thrown into this everybody was so isolated and everybody's head spinning a bit we don't really know what's going on so you make a hypothesis up we we fully expected when we started talking to people that there would be a lot of people saying this is really a nightmare our, 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 we're finding it very difficult whether that's because of technical and practical issues or whether it's because of collaboration difficulties or client relationships and so on and so forth. It was actually at the time quite a surprise to us as we interviewed people that we, are, we were finding actually people aren't saying that. We're saying, you know what, 
this has actually been pretty straightforward. It's been much easier than we were expecting. It really changes our view on what we think about remote working and the possibility for incorporating more of that into our model going forwards. It feels like, as a team, at least at the moment, it feels like we're, we're more productive than we even usually are. So they were really seeing those those benefits in the, in the short term. And that, that was a, a great surprise to us. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, we had people, we had people say, we never thought this was possible to move an entire team of, say, for example, 100 to a remote working setup pretty much overnight in some cases. What we've been hoping to do for months and months and even possibly years, we've been able to accelerate overnight. And it just goes to show that with the right stimulus, there's a lot teams can achieve. Yeah, we should say that wasn't the case for absolutely everyone. It just no. was the majority and it was the trend. It was 70% that found the transition easier than they would have expected. Yeah. If they'd been told this was going to happen a couple of months before, uh, they actually found that the transition was easier than they'd have thought. And, that, and then on the productivity side, it was 75% who thought their productivity had, had at least maintained or it had increased. That's amazing. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> what about the people who weren't in that 70, 75%? I mean, what were they saying? Were there any patterns there? Clearly, uh, those, that were, those that were finding the, the change a positive one were, were looking at increased remote working in a very positive light for the most part, with some question marks over various concerns. There was also quite a vocal minority who had stronger views against the potentially wider adoption of vastly increased remote working. Those people that we interviewed actually had stronger views on the terms of how they felt about remote working. Clearly, it's not for everybody, even if the Operating models might mean that we move into increased remote working and decreased use of commercial office space. I think it's important for businesses to recognize that every individual is different and what they actually prefer and like is different. And so the key thing is not so much about the amount of remote working, but it's the amount of flexibility that's offered to, to individuals so that they can adapt and to their schedule, their preferences. And that may be a key differentiator for organizations as they form new ways of working going forwards. Uh, how can they offer that flexibility? Some of the biggest things that people mentioned, the great concerns about that, that increased remote working were the effect it would have on kind of divide, dividing teams and further separating. And some people termed it as sort of an A team and a B team. So it became, without being in a, a co-working co environment, it became more difficult to integrate team members who weren't normally integrated. So you get this kind of opening divide almost between teams and not, not a level of inclusivity that would normally happen quite organically. And also a, definitely a sense of people feeling like they were in some kind of dystopian future where they just wake up in the morning, they kind of plug in, they clock in, they do some work, and then they clock out and they're gone. And they're just like a cog in this big machine. Really, they highly valued the office environment and the energy you get from collaboration, collaboration with colleagues in the workplace. But there was also this sense that, 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 that adopting such a new way of working would be quite a disadvantage for younger members of the working population that are looking to gain exposure and to learn from others and they can easily do that by, by being with them in person and so on. I think there were many with quite strong views that there were quite a lot of downsides to increased remote working that people weren't really recognising yet. And this idea of culture too, how do you affirm your company's culture without having your team together in, in one place or at least for the majority of the time building this culture together? And I think there was this worry one uh, CEO had had um, kind of referenced the the idea of an anomie, which is if you 
keep people apart for so long, they lose a sense of belonging. And, and that was a, kind of a big fear for the future. You, especially when bringing on new members of your team and inducting new people, how do you promote your culture? So yeah, this idea that it's okay in the short term, but over the long term, what repercussions does that have on, on, your, on your company's culture? And therefore your ability to promote that culture. What, what impact does this have on creativity? Can it, does it dampen that? The creative spirit, the creative enterprise that you get in a room together. And so this idea of being flexible, it's not necessarily removing altogether this collaborative working altogether, but actually just finding the right model and fit and the right, the, the time split, not removing it altogether. It's really dependent on your people, balancing the needs of your team and your company's priorities, the people's needs. So speaking of culture, what about meetings? That's one of the ways of looking at culture. It's kind of a, <laughs> a lens of what the actual culture is like. Has there been any discussion about how remote meetings work relative to when they are in person? On both sides of the stories, there's been loads of positives in respect to meetings. We can meet with lots more people lots more quickly, especially if you're kind of doing business development and so on. You can meet with six clients in the morning instead of one where you'd normally kind of go and visit them face to face. And likewise, teams got used to increased levels of Zoom. It can get too much. And I think initially there was almost an overreaction. People were on Zoom all the time, like constantly Zoom rooms open all day. And that seemed to have that seemed to tail off, actually, even during the sort of six week period or so that we were interviewing. But on the flip side, there was certainly challenges discussed around not being able to get the whole story when you're not in the room with people, both in terms of meeting new people, especially in client relationships or potential new hires. There's recognition that it's the stuff which happens outside of the meeting, what gives you the real cues as a human being. And you pick up so many bits of information that you're kind of not even aware of. It just goes into your subconscious and you, you have a feel about things. And so that remains a, a challenge. To overcome that is not easy. On the meetings front specifically, I would say that if there was one practical challenge that was raised, then clearly it's around meetings of a certain size beyond 10 plus it just becomes quite unmanageable whereas you could run a, a very productive workshop day for 25 or 30 people or more physical yeah in person doing that virtually is a, a really big challenge and, and i think technology and virtualization will have to go a long way before that becomes in any way close to the physical equivalent on the flip side too you do have those individuals who feel more confident speaking in this type of space now so virtually rather than in in person it's given them more confidence uh, to speak out loud and voice their opinions there was one person who led a, a, a zoom call with 160 people and she'd never have thought her to have done that before so in, in another sense it has given people more confidence but there's a lot of leaders thinking about this now how do you create an interesting engaging online experience rather than just trying to replicate the offline experience they are two very different like mediums and they need to be treated in, in those ways so we're all still learning how to make it more engaging um, for example we had we had one one leader say it's more interesting to run a pitch using Miro for example than it would be to use a PowerPoint presentation so it's just finding these new ways to deliver presentations and meet with multiple people in an online experience um, 
But, but as Tristan says, I think I feel personally too, you can only do that with so many people. So for example, that call with 160 people, I, I can imagine that most of those might have been muted. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And then it kind of does, it, it doesn't necessarily bring everybody into that experience. They're not all feeling engaged at the same time or equally. But uh, That's right. Quite a few people mentioned that the, the larger group meetings become more like sort of lecture format. So there, there were... Webinar. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of more webinar. So, for example, like all hands meetings, the companies start running those over Zoom meant that whereas previously, you know, you have the breaks, you have the little, uh, corridor chats and everything like that just goes away and it just becomes like a, a stream and dialogue of information. And so, yeah, cl clearly there's a long way to go in respect to larger group meetings. But then again, we've had people say around this borderless working environment, I don't need to travel to Brazil anymore for a marketing pitch. I could do that over over video and so and it's inexpensive saves time the bigger it gets the harder it is to maintain but also when you're trying to create those new ideas and products uh, for a products for example does it does it hinder that creativity um, yeah. although I did have although I did have one leader say they created a whole brand new digital product from scratch completely remotely from start to finish and it's been successful. I think it depends, it, it, it depends really. I, I think, yeah, on the techniques you use, your, your, your type of team, the type of people within that team, lots yeah. of different variables. Just to return briefly to the culture point, because I do think it's a really important one and a, a strongly held view by many, which is that that, it, that represents part of the greatest challenge here over the medium and long term for, for businesses, for organizations especially, because you know, as, it is the key challenge because it what what's the difference between one organization and another if we're all just nodes working in a disputed fashion remotely and um, everybody's just connects digitally over zoom how, how does one organization d d differentiates itself in terms of culture and identity and that that being able to crack that is uh, uh key to growing successful organizations in the future yeah it's almost like you need to put a, a design hat on in terms of meetings and collaboration, <laughs> in terms of rethinking from basics, like how do you do it when you're remote as opposed yeah. to... It's got to be an afterthought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it has to be planned. That's right. Reimagine. And, and, and that's, you know, when you think about the experience of people joining a new company, how different that is for those that have joined new businesses um, over the period of the, the lockdown and the pandemic versus how it would normally be. It's night and day in terms of the sense of what business, what kind of businesses is you're joining, right? And so that whole, well, the hiring piece, the the attraction, the hiring, and then the onboarding and integration piece for for build, building teams is is going to be a real that they need think businesses need to put a real spotlight on that in at once if we if we hire people through those mechanisms we do that digitally how do we onboard and integrate people really how, how can we get anywhere near the same level of effectiveness as you would have when people join us their first day and you can you know meet lots of people around the office go for lunch go for drinks get to know people that's just out the window and how how do you in some way re replace that it's very very difficult i think yeah yeah what else is on leaders' minds? What are people asking? I guess that goes back to the commercial, the, the use of the, the operating models, which we talked a little bit about, and the use of commercial office space going forwards was a, a key uh, point of interest. And so too was what's going to happen in the future? What will priorities be? On the, on the office space side of things, we got a sense that... Uh, 
because this was a, a point of interest, we, we started to ask more about this. What's their view? And nobody really had a full answer to it because it was still up in the air at the time. But what was their best guess on what kind of model they might go towards in the future? We found in terms of trends, there were about five different models that people were talking about. One was basically what we ended up calling kind of high flexibility, where they would see that they would move to giving much more flexibility to employees to be to potentially work up to 60% of the time remotely. The second model was what we termed kind of batched co-working where teams would be distributed for the majority of time, but then they come together either for all come together for kind of one day a week or one week a month um, or three days um, a month and, and so on. The third model was mainly office-based, so kind of back to business as usual because there certainly was still a contingent that we're talking about continuing to work that way. The fourth, a little bit more niche, was a, a sort of rotor system where there are fewer people in, in the office space overall, but they'd be on rotation. So you'd have teams in and they'd be taking it in turns to work remotely and work in the office. And fifth, of course, is the, the kind of fully distributed model. And yeah, overwhelmingly, we found it was the it was the, the first two of those. So having re retaining office space, but needing being able to potentially to reduce quite significantly. So down from 0, 0 0.8, Per, per seat per employee or 80% utilizations it might be down to possibly like 40 or 50% so quite quite a dramatic change there and on the flip we put that together with the results of our poll which told us so we had the view of what the leaders were thinking about where they might go but we had on the other side we had employees and team members and what they actually wanted to do in the future how much they actually want to work from home so in that poll we got about uh, close to 300, about 260 responses for that. We felt that we'd gotten to statistically significant because we weren't seeing any change as we added another 10 or 20, that the output had, had settled. And there we found that the most popular choice was actually working remotely kind of 60% of the time. People were quite keen to be in the office two days a week, if you like, and at home three days a week. That was the most popular choice. And then closely following it was 100% distributed. So there's, there's a lot uh, um, of people that would be wanting to work somewhere between 40 and 60% remotely. Um, that was a majority. And then another kind of peak at, at fully remote working. And uh, taking that all into account, it meant that 70% of people that, that, that responded to, to that poll would prefer to work from home at least half the time. So that coupled with the leader's view of how this could work leads on to quite dramatic shift in, in commercial office space usage. And we, we put a projection together that in, in the report where we think it just shifts the, the peak in how much remote working is happening from about 10 to 20 percent where it was previously to more somewhere between around the 40 and 50 percent. Hmm. Taking that all into account. Yeah. Yeah, that is that that is quite a change. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far-reaching consequences um, in many respects. I think. Yeah. What about things like people's desks and locations within an office? There's office space, but I think part of the assumption of an office is you've got your desk, you sit in one place, whereas if it's a lot smaller, then it becomes yes, it's more of a hot, hot desking. Hot desk right. kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so nobody has a sort of home at the office, as it were. I, I don't know what you think, Rachel, but I, I certainly found there were two two sides to that coin as well, in that those that were n not so much in favour of increased remote working basically is just a more inconvenient version of the 
the plugging into the matrix kind of thing because it's all <laughs> like it's all very sterile and not home and you walk in you, you turn up with your stuff you plug it in and then you have to clear it all out and away you go just practically speaking felt like that's clearly the way it's it's going to go and it's it's going to mean that we're all working in that way I, I back i mean the first the first group there i'm talking about they just felt like if you have run an office like that way you're kind of missing the point of the office because you're not supporting mm -hmm. people having a place where they work and they feel like they're comfortable and, and an environment which they're really happy to be in it's just it becomes a quite a transactional thing even though it's physical and you know an, an extension of the digital trans increasing digital transactions that we've all been um, undertaking over the last few months those that, that found the positives don't see it going any other way and in mm -hmm. fact extend that to co-working space as well so seeing pop-up expecting to see like large pop-up rooms for kind of collaborative working and and workshops and so forth yeah i didn't actually cover much of this hot desking experience after this period what did come out was if you weren't at home you'd be in collaborative spaces so for example you'd only hire what you need on an ad hoc or pay-as-you-go basis is finding spaces to meet whenever you're building something or you need to work together, particularly around like designing sprints or designing products. And it's more in the design phase or an away day, but those are the times that you'd get together and you'd only have the space for that purpose. So I spoke to many who kind of focus on that route going forward and would be more comfortable with just using space when they needed it really, rather than adopting hot desks. So then the budget priority isn't so much the hot desking size. It's more just being able to, have meeting rooms uh, effectively yeah yeah and yeah it, exactly it opens up some really interesting possibilities for businesses around what they could potentially do with their budget for office space if you were to take that kind of batch approach we were talking about where predominantly people working from home but they come together for a few days a month or a day a week i think there is the option to make that really quite interesting and vary that quite a lot in terms of the surroundings you, you allow people to be, be in the environment they're working in and the world's your oyster at that point if your team is is, is largely distributed and you come together wherever you wish uh, it could uh, create a, a mini away day uh, either weekly or, or monthly which might be something that companies don't do enough of and so yeah. putting people in different surroundings and having them exposed to you know there's nothing stopping company each other together yeah yeah but and, and there's nothing stopping the, a business going and, and hiring a castle for a few days for everybody working people might get a bit distracted i guess and not so focused as they should be but it, it could make things as up as long as wi-fi works you know yeah. sorry right. yeah <laughs> get through those walls yeah <laughs> but but you know, i think you raised a valid point like luke you know there needs to be um some thought into what happens going forward with the desks, the designated zones for working. You know, are we equipping our staff with the right tools and equipment that they need to stay healthy while working? We all went into sort of a reactive state during this period, but going forward, how do we make sure that our teams are comfortable with their working setup? I clearly know that a lot of um, the, the majority want to work in this way, but making sure that that's sustainable is probably going to be a priority for, for leaders going forward too. Google had work from home allowance. I think a lot of companies are going down that way, albeit they're reducing spend on commercial office space, but potentially putting some of that spend back into the homes of their workers. How do they create that office space at home and uh, making sure that, that that's safe for them too. 
It's a big thank you to Tristan and Rashmi to uh, hop on the call to discuss the report. Uh, I definitely found it quite enlightening that uh, most companies are actually kind of happy with the remote working thing, and um, many people would prefer to be largely remote working uh, completely or at least 60%, so three days, three days of the week working from outside of the office. Um, let's say in January, uh, that's not something that um, I certainly would have expected. In short, a lot has changed already, and we have a lot to think through uh, when we do go back to whatever world we return to after the pandemic. So join me next week for some actionable insights from their research. And in the meantime, feel free to uh, follow the links in the show notes or to reach out to Tristan and Rashmi for a copy of the report, which uh, they'll be happy to uh, give you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Align Remotely podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.